Okay, well, he, but here's the deal. Yes. I'm going to start, but I'm going to let you introduce them. <sighs> I hate you. You, you, did, you do a better job. You know job. what? No, I've done it every time. I know, because you turn. do a better job of that. <laughs> it's your turn this time. And you set this up. Okay, whatever. <laughs> All right. These are, right. Your, these are your friends. I know. <laughs> We're, I just want to say we're happy to be here. <laughs> we get uh, Thank confrontational you, in our <laughs> we get, We're not editing this part out. We're, Are you we're just going to insert this like in the middle of like... <laughs> Again, obviously very professional when you were yeah. talking about like, our editorial vision or whatever. I was like, okay, yeah. That was a funny question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't know we had a vision. Yeah. Are we ready? Yes. Okay. Let's go, girls. Come on. Hi, I'm Rachel. Hey, I'm Spencer. And this is Neon Boots, the 90s country music podcast. And today we have with us Sandra and Anita from She and Her, my favorite podcast that wow. is the only one I really listen to. So by default, Aww, it's favorite. Thank you. But because it's so good, I keep listening to it. Wow. So thank you all for joining us today. Thanks for it, having us. It's a true honor to be in the presence of fellow <laughs> local podcasters and such musical experts. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, setting the bar pretty high. And we're really, we're really excited to be here to talk about specifically the person we're here to talk about today. Right. So our format's a little bit different today than we've done the last few episodes in that we are focusing on one specific artist, three songs from one artist. And since they their podcast speaks about Southern feminism, this is the queen of Southern Canadian country pop, <laughs> Shania Twain, of course. Yeah. Uh, so we'll be going through some Shania songs today, and I'm really interested to hear what you guys have to say. Well, I just want to start by saying that Shania Twain was my first concert ever. Ooh. So I realized that I guess her first major American tour, and Spencer, you can correct me because I know you've been reading her autobiography. <laughs> right. So so but, the last time we recorded, Rachel gave me homework to read. I did not read her suggestion. Read. Instead, I've been reading the Shania Twain autobiography. At least reading. <laughs> yes. Which is dense. It's like a solid. Yeah, it's 400, 400 plus pages. pages. Yeah. From this moment on, I yeah. believe is yes. the title. In case anyone's interested in Amazon. <laughs> uh, you can get it at the Wake County Library. Okay. If you want to be cheap like me. Well, that's also, I'm in favor of that. But so she, her first major tour, according to Behind the Music, which I watched this morning on my research, (laughs) was for the Come On Over album, which was her third album. And... There had been all these rumors circulating that she was a studio star and that she actually couldn't really perform because she didn't take the second album, which was her first big hit album, on the road. And so I saw her on the Come On Over tour at Walnut Creek Amphitheater. Oh, man. I went with my dad, and I don't know who felt more in love with Shania. (laughs) My dad was totally into it. I mean, she she kind of had like the Britney Spears aesthetic going before Britney Spears did, like the athleisure style mm. jumpsuits with the midriff. And oh, then yeah. I remember all of her musicians were in color coordinated outfits and like they were men, but they were in 
these really sort of high fashion looking weird either white or bright red outfits and they had an electric fiddle and my dad thought that was the coolest thing he'd ever seen <laughs> but yeah so she's been very formative for and country music was my first music of self-exploration because I grew up in a musical household and my dad loved listening to Bruce Springsteen and Bette Midler and Jimi Hendrix and all that stuff but I got into country through Kicks 96.1. I, I like discovered that on my little radio that I'd carry from my bathroom to my bedroom <laughs> and back, like getting ready every day. And I'm like, I, this is really cool. Country music's really cool. And that was in the 90s. And apparently my first concert was in 1998 because that's when she went on tour for the first time. Yeah. Apparently she didn't go out on tour much early because she felt like she couldn't. What I read was that she couldn't really do the show she wanted to do and that she didn't have enough songs early on to do things that weren't just a bunch of covers mixed in with her singles. And so she was like, nope, I'm just going to work on making more songs instead of being on the road and having a you know terrible album to follow up the second one. And so she yeah. just kind of did that instead. Did a bunch of promo tours and stuff like that on the radio and TV performance and all that, but decided to opt out of the touring Apparently with Toby Keith, I guess, was some of the... the right. The, yeah, the first promo tour she went on, she says, was uh, with Toby Keith when Should Have Been a Cowboy went to number one. So he was the star <laughs> of that tour, which is kind of crazy thing about them touring together yes. now. Anita, I want to hear about your experience yeah. with 90s country music. Yeah, so very limited. So I grew up in a household of two immigrant parents. My mom is from England. My dad is from India. And so I would say in our household, our we were very popular culture illiterate and kind of isolated. So most of the music we listened to growing up was like ABBA, the Beatles, like things my parents kind of like came to know in their coming of age as like teens in Britain, but both like very much feeling like outsiders. So I didn't, I wasn't exposed at all to anything other than the radio. I feel like I fell in love with boy bands on my own, but I never had a female artist that I like felt called to. Mm -hmm. And my sister and I went to, all my mom's family lives in England. So we would go and spend like a month there. And one of my aunts and uncles had all of Shania's music and it was all on CDs. And that was the only music they had in their car. Oh, we would wow. go on these long road trips. It was like that one particular like vacation that we just like we became obsessed. And so we then we like came home back to the US with like all of her burned albums. Yeah. I think this was like right after Come On Over, I guess. So we had like the three and then just like listened and were obsessed and like she had her on repeat. Mm -hmm. But it was the kind of thing where it's like she was this disembodied figure because we didn't have a TV at home. It was like before the age of like being able to look things up on the internet. So like I hadn't seen any of her music videos. I didn't even know what she wow. I didn't know what she looked like but I just like felt like her voice was amazing she had this like obviously the, like the extreme power ballad like sucks you in she has incredible vocal range she was super sassy and my sister and I would just like dance around to her but I didn't know her as like a human figure until right. later and that's she was a just, video star and she was a video star so it wasn't until like I don't even know high school or college that I started watching her videos so it was like a journey with a musician I've never quite had with other ones because I was very much like her music and then her look and then learning more about her later on. Mm -hmm. So I would say, I mean, honestly, until I came down, so I came to college in North Carolina and I feel like I got exposed much more to country music and then country pop and people like the Avett Brothers and people that people don't even consider country, but I did not grow up by having any exposure to yeah. this music. So she was definitely my first um, foray. I love that because, I mean, like Spencer and I and, and a lot of the other people that we've had on so far are from the Carolinas or the Southeast and we are of the age where this was the hot thing. 
I have to tell one Shania story before oh, please. we start talking about the music. So, and this is for my mom who yelled at me the other day for saying the F word too much on this podcast. So <laughs> I'm going to try and refrain from that today. You talking about your dad loving Shania made me think about this because my stepdad also loves Shania so much so that as a gag one year, we got a poster of Shania Twain from Walmart, obviously, <laughs> and she's wearing like a cat print type jumpsuit thing. Yes, I know from the music video. <laughs> you know, yeah, you yes. can you can visualize. It don't this. impress me much. Yes. Yes, yeah, so that type of outfit and we took a picture of my mom and blew it up so that her <laughs> face was the same size as Shania's oh face. Cut it out and stuck it to the poster and gave that to my stepdad as a gag gift and it it really took him quite a few minutes to realize <laughs> that it was not Shania's face, that it was my mom's. So I understand oh. where he was looking. <laughs> yeah, obviously. He was looking at that cat suit, not at the face. Um, and it hung in their closet for like a really long time. And if people happened to walk by, they would be like, something is wrong with that Shania Twain poster. But I can't quite put my finger <laughs> on what it is. Yeah, this something about your mom if she's able to pass as a Shania that Yeah, that yeah. yeah. Shania has the perfect face, right? Wasn't that mm-hmm. like that night? 1999 study or something. Maybe yeah, 2009. Yeah. Oh, is it like perfectly? Yeah, perfectly symmetrical. She like does the have a very symmetrical everything. Okay, but I was reading. <laughs> uh, she had the promo photos and album cover and all that for the woman and me shot by Bo Derek's husband, who oh, apparently really? shot a lot of photos of Bo Derek and his previous wives that were like uh, artsy, um, uh-huh. you know, fashionable. And he was very critical of her <gasps> and said uh, her nose was too big and she's over. <laughs> Overweight and all this what? stuff. Yes. What? Yeah. What? Yes. It, what? It it kind of threw wow. me off. And I went okay. back and looked at those pictures, and I was very confused when which, I looked at which the, album specifically. Was the woman and me, the what? second one, and did like some of the single <sighs> photos. I mean, she was itty bitty. Yeah. I, I mean, when on her behind the music, when Faith Hill was asked what made her such a superstar, Faith Hill was like, gosh, what was it? What was it? Well, I mean, if I had a body like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's tiny. We're looking at the photo now. Wow. Well, that's very interesting. Well, obviously, she it took her a minute to find her right creative partner. And then that creative <laughs> partner didn't work out for her later. But we could get to that. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, speaking of Mutt, who we're going to bring up at some point anyway, I think it's interesting Anita coming to her music from outside the U.S. originally because yes. he started with that third album, I think, and on some of the single versions from the second album, kind of stripping away some of the pedal steel and fiddle and that sort of thing to make them more appealing to international international audience and so you got those more pop accessible versions first oh yeah we definitely had like the international album version which was like turned down on the twang because I remember hearing it again like in the US in some way and it feeling like I thought there was like something broken (laughs) these are wrong yeah yeah we definitely had the other version the country version is broken (laughs) (laughs) that's funny alright so we've talked about our entry points to you haven't talked about yours though Spencer what is your entry point? What's your first Shania Twain memory? <laughs> I don't have a distinct first Shania Twain memory other than I had the Woman in Me album, or my brother did. Someone in my house had it, and probably my brother because he was older than me. And I thought that it sounded way different than any other country album of the time, including Garth. She was, I feel like, a little bit more in your face with putting the rock Mm. elements in there and her kind of attitude in her songwriting. 
you know, she was not confrontational, but she was blunt. Mm-hmm. Which, Direct. Uh, yes, yes. And which is her personality from watching her on Behind the Music and reading what yeah. she says. And I don't think Garth is really blunt in that same way where, you know, she didn't really care as much about what people thought necessarily. And I mentioned this via text earlier. So uh, you were not a fan of this comment I made. But to me, it kind of feels like she is or was kind of this bridge from Dolly Parton in terms of someone who wrote their own stuff was the big driver behind their own image and you know brand and all that sort of thing. And, you know, was blunt with her lyrics and was kind of an icon outside of just the music itself. And then I think you took some offense to me saying, I yeah. think that Torch gets a kind of passed on to Taylor Swift okay. in the sense that she does a lot of those same things and you know sort of like Shania's first album her first one was kind of was comfortable with what people were used to hearing and then after she kind of established herself somewhat she was able to ruffle some feathers by going a little bit outside of what the Nashville expectations were. So you did say that and I did thumbs down it in the text thread but then I decided to walk that back just a little bit internally because even though I don't like putting her in the same category as the Taylor Swift. I do respect what you're saying and I, I agree with the underlying principle. Doesn't mean I have to like Taylor Swift's music to agree with the point you're making. So okay, well, I just want to say we'll walk that back. You can to revisit <laughs> some of Taylor Swift's songs too. Not not all of them, but I think there's, okay. some, there's some good stuff there too. But there I, seems to be some kind of like mutual admiration of the three of them yes. and different stories I've read too. Yes. So uh, they kind of recognize that too. And Shania grew up on listening to Dolly, she says. And she talks a lot. I mean, in interviews, she references Dolly a lot about yeah. like, mm-hmm. you know, a visual icon, someone she would love to dress up as as a party. She'd love to have a Dolly wig and very much sees Taylor Swift as carrying on her legacy. So I think that thread is embraced by Shania. Yeah. Oh, she said that about Taylor. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> now you I can, really you have to can come respect it without loving Taylor exactly. Swift's music. Yeah. I actually, I hate to admit how much I like Taylor Swift because like that that's not a cool like I'm trying I'm supposed to be cool about music and Taylor Swift is not cool she's obnoxious and poppy but I love it yeah That's, a lot of people do I've yeah. seen her in concert and she can perform yeah okay. yeah wow yeah. so and, and I've well, mentioned just, just I've mentioned mentioned excluded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah come on come on to the the dark Taylor Swift yeah. side with yeah. <laughs> well that first record that you're about to share which song you pulled from which I'd never heard I saw that she didn't write but one song that ended up on that record. Right. So the song we're going to talk about is the one she co-wrote is that? Uh, okay. yeah, on the self-titled album, which has an amazing cover. I'm sure we'll post that. I'll put that on the Instagram. Uh, yeah. Um, best cover of her career uh, where she's <laughs> in like the Canadian wilderness with a wolf and just like rocking her you know, winter outfit. And so obviously her style changed up a little bit from there. But yeah, it was interesting that she basically in part got signed because of her songwriting. And then she talked a lot about when she got to Nashville, they were like, okay, now let's listen to all these songs other people wrote and pick out the ones for your album. Or she would go into these sessions where they would bring in a Nashville songwriter to co-write with her. And it's like, all right, you've got three hours, have at it, where she was used to going to this cabin in the Canadian wilderness with the guitar for weeks at a time and writing that way. Oh, so she was the original Bonnevere. <laughs> so, so, so they didn't play out the bony bear uh, cabin in the woods 
story as much for her. Um, but that's a good. Maybe they should have. Yeah. Maybe. We can. I mean, he got a, he got a Grammy out of it. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Maybe we can redefine the album twenty six years later. And are you up. are you going to point out that one of the songs on that album was previously recorded by Joe Diffie? Oh. It always comes back to Joe Diffie. It always so. comes back with <laughs> us. Our, like our icon. Yeah. Our the patron saint of this podcast. Uh, yeah. So she did There Goes the Neighborhood, which Joe Diffie recorded in 1990. Mm-hmm. And I think we've only talked about like one actual Joe Diffie song yeah. so far. I mean, but we reference him a lot, yeah. but we've only covered one song. Yeah. We haven't gotten our default Bojangles reference in yet, but I'm being fueled by Bojangles this morning. Oh Bojangles, God. we're here for you whenever you want to sponsor us with biscuits. Uh, anyway, so the song that she had a co-write for on this album was God Ain't Gonna Get You For That, which she actually co-wrote with Kent Robbins, who also co-wrote John Anderson's Straight Tequila Night. We talked about uh, a couple episodes ago. And in her autobiography, she said she thinks that one was only accepted by her team, the label, because it was co-written by someone who'd already made hits before that. And so she thought that was the only reason she got a original on there. there. But she was not very happy with that album for many reasons, that being one, that it was kind of formulaic and rushed in a sense of, you know, picking out songs or the opportunities to write songs. And then when they got into record it, they were just like knocking it out on, again, like on a clock, following a budget. She says, you know, the session players are really good, but they would just kind of record something, then sort of ask her for input, but kind of like they were asking her without really... She was being packaged. She was just totally being packaged by the Nashville machine. Yeah, they were just like, cool, we know how to knock out one of these records. And so we know what we're doing. And so she said that she was disillusioned thinking that as the artist, she was supposed to be making the record, not just performing the vocals. Like she was supposed to have artistic input. It's like kind of welcome to Nashville, sis. That's how it works. Yeah. But for her, having grown up the way that she did as impoverished and just constantly hustling. And after her parents died, she performed at like a Las Vegas style hotel variety show in the Canadian wilderness. (laughs) So she had like clawed her way to any kind of artistic success. And then she moved to Nashville and assumed that she'd earned the right to make her own music instead of covering other people's music. So I read an amazing story about her when she was like 11 or something was the first time she was invited to perform. And it was supposed to be an overnight train ride. Um, And her parents like sent her on this train alone with her guitar and she gets on the train and she realizes the train is actually going to like a two day away destination. So the conductor just like stops the train halfway through and is like, get off and wait for the train going the other direction. She's just like an 11 year old in the middle of the wilderness standing with her guitar. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that is such a symbol for like her childhood was so bad. Mm -hmm. Like the psychological abuse, the physical abuse, the sexual abuse that she didn't talk about in the book, I guess, but only talked about in interviews. Or in the behind the music. Right. Because her stepdaddy was a hero in her behind the music. I'm just going to say that. Yeah. Well, she, she talked about it in the book some, but I skimmed the early days stuff because I'd read about other places and I just didn't have the time. You didn't to, want to read her whole life. I'm going back to read it all. It's just this was, I checked this out a couple days ago, so I knew my limits. And that was uh, less than 400 pages. So I couldn't get to it all. 
but yeah, that, that childhood she had. And then when her parents both died, it was she like 16. She was 22. Oh, I'm, well, <laughs> close enough. She had moved away, I guess. And she got the phone call. Right. And she right, moved right, home right. to take care of the four mm-hmm. siblings. Yeah. Yeah. So she talked a lot about kind of feeling naive when she got to Nashville too. And with some of the people trying to take advantage of her. And she talked specifically about a songwriter that she was working with. And then the songwriter, she was staying at his house. It was late. The songwriter like goes to bed with his wife or his wife's already in bed. He goes to bed. She goes to the guest room or whatever. And then like 10 minutes later, he just comes in like ask if he can crawl in bed with her. And so she, I I think she was just assuming everyone there was kind of like there to help her. So she talked about another man who was, again, someone she considered a friend and kind of a mentor in a way that was big in Nashville, who also kind of invited her over drunkenly and was trying to sleep with her. And she thought it was like a business meeting, more or less. Uh Right. So a lot of that early on, and I'm sure before she even made it to Nashville. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was even more of that. So. Okay, so do you like this? song that you're about to play? As far as songs on that album, <laughs> yes. Uh, we were talking a little bit before. I think that's by far the best song in the album because it has a little bit of her sassiness showing through already. And I really like the the line in the chorus or two lines. Uh, God ain't going to pay no attention if we're just making use of his invention. <laughs> because I love in country music when I feel like country music does this a lot more than other genres when they skirt, you know, it's obvious what they're talking about right. because she's flirty in that whole song, but she's not just going to come straight out and say it. You right. have to kind of, it's not like your parents are going to say, yeah, nudge. yeah. Your parents are going to be like, oh, what did she just say? <laughs> you know, they've got to listen to it enough times to pick up on like, oh, I get what she's saying because it just kind of rolls right in there. So yeah, I think it's the most interesting song in that album. Again, that's not saying a ton. Musically, it's pretty boring, but it's catchier, I think, than the rest of them. And lyrically, is more interesting. And uh, you know, she talks about in the chorus that he, that he being God, is too busy with the guys in the black hats. <laughs> what? He being God. Well, just a con- <laughs> as, as skipping the line with God in it, um, that he's too busy with the guys in the black hats, which I took at least to mean like in the old westerns, how the bad guys always represented by the black hat and the I good guys. I was thinking represent- like the FBI. Yeah, I was thinking like corporate evil. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Right. You might be right. Well, I was I was trying <laughs> to think of the back. context of where Shania was coming from. I didn't realize you were. That's amazing. That's what? a great close reading. Well, I'm just saying, like this is kind of like the good and evil yes. symbolism in those movies. So that's how I took it. Yeah. You know, those outlaws. And he's not going to mess with you for just making use of his invention. His invention. Right. So. Yeah, should we listen to a clip from that? And you guys can totally agree with that being the correct reading of it. Man. Well, yeah. <laughs> like that guy, he's obvious. I 
mean, he's got a monopoly on all the... I mean, that's why it's called Monopoly. He's not sharing his money with the rest of the world. He's a greedy bastard, and God's not down for that. He's wearing a damn watch. He's not down for that. And I had the deep reading, you say. (laughs) I'm just saying, Shania might be woker than we thought. She might be Even in the discourse record, anti-capitalist messages coming through strong and early Shania. I mean, we were going to talk about her being a feminist icon, but maybe she's an anti-capitalist icon. She is. Where where was she during Occupy Wall Street? Maybe we should find out. Okay, I just want to say that I never listened to that first record. Me neither. I never met Shania on that first record. Mm -hmm. I didn't even... I recognized the cover art when you pointed us to it, but I never... I couldn't have told you a song off of it. Mm -hmm. And my first entry point to Shania was The Woman in Me, Mm -hmm. which was just epic. Epic So many songs from that record. Yeah. Yeah, and that was her, you know, creative vision, or at least her half of creative vision, where this was not really anything. It, I mean, it apparently went platinum after she blew up, because I'm sure people were wanting to check out how she got there. Mm. But it didn't really do a whole lot of the time. And she was talking about she didn't even think that the record label was going to put out a second single from it after that tour with Toby Keith. But Sean Penn offered to direct a second music video for her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, uh, I know. Uh, doesn't sound true. You can read the book if you'd like. <laughs> and she talks about kind of having some guilt in that she knew that none of the songs of the album were good enough to really take advantage of that break. But she also didn't want to turn down that opportunity. So that was uh, Dance with the One That Brought You. And, you know, it didn't do a whole lot either but apparently Sean Penn was a really nice dude he saw her like the fact that she was just kind of struggling to get by early on and just gave her a hundred bucks one day when they were hanging out and didn't really it was kind of one of those like we're not going to talk about this I just know you need the money kind of things Uh, so not only did he direct a music video that I don't think any anyone has really seen uh, (laughs) you know he gave her a hundred bucks which is cool well I will revisit that video now yeah yeah but here's my question. Can you think of a number of artists that hit hit it big on their second or third album and you go back to their first album and think, yes, this is amazing? No, not really. But I think it's a lot of times more common for the artists to have that breakthrough first yeah, album. That's what I and think. then you have the sophomore slump. But, you know, since yeah. she kind of saved her songs, not intentionally, but because yeah. of the label for the second, for the second album, album, she had that big, songs. yeah, she had that big bump and the quality right. for the second album because those were her songs that she'd been working her whole life on basically or you know started too early on some bits and pieces whereas the first one was just you know formulaic stuff that mm-hmm. the label signed off on so I think it kind of worked in reverse for her a little right. bit in that in that case Okay, but do you feel like, okay, so the second album, the story behind that is that Mutt Lang gives her a call after he hears her first record. And he's like, hey, I like your voice. You know, do you write music? And she's like, I do. And he said, why isn't any of your stuff on there? So they start this phone relationship, meet in Nashville, fall in love, go on this trip around the world. And they write this record together. And then they come back, record it. Do you feel like the record label, and I think there was this in the behind the music, there's a lot of discussion about how the people in Nashville when she was they found out that Mutt Lang was doing one of her songs they're like he's an outsider we don't want him to be a part of this Mm -hmm. we're not into this this is this makes us uncomfortable do you think that 
her record label was like, well, that first album was a flop. We don't care. We'll just let her this happen this way. Or somehow she just advocated for herself enough to get them to let her have whoever she wanted to produce her album do it. Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> and from this moment on, the story of Shania Twain, written by Shania Twain. <laughs> she basically said that the label was kind of pestering her for like, when are you going to share some new songs with us? And they had been holed up in, he had a house, I think, in England and one in Spain. And so they were, she was kind of making frequent trips back there whenever she was off of these promotional tours. And and so she wanted to have stuff pretty much written and, uh, you know, kind of done in the style of what they wanted before she shared it with them because she thought that the songs themselves were, you know, good enough that once they heard them, they weren't really going to say no. But she was really nervous, she said, about bringing this guy who was known for working with like Def Leppard and ACDC and all these rock bands. And she was really nervous about that pushback that she might get. There was apparently a change in like label head or artist relations there. So the person she had been dealing with before was gone. So she didn't really know how this new guy was going to take it. But he was really supportive. And so when she shared that, I basically got an album done with this guy, Mutt. And, you know, the guy, the uh, guy at the label recognized who that was and thought it was awesome. And then seemed like she got a little bit of pushback from the label management team, whatever, but they thought the songs were strong enough that, you know, it was going to work, but we're nervous about kind of radio reception to it. Cause you know, if you think about the mid nineties, those were kind of gatekeepers to what, all of us were going to listen to. Yes. So she had to kind of go on this pre, even before the singles were released, kind of tour of going to different hmm. radio stations around the country and playing songs and getting their feedback and trying to figure out kind of which songs to push. And mm -hmm. she said it was like very hot or cold. It was either like, yes, we love this or we don't want to play this. Hmm. So Fools. Yeah. <laughs> Look who's so, laughing now. <laughs> so that kind of played into even the way she, you know, released the singles they, from this. Uh -huh. Because the first single was Whose Bed Have You Been Under, which I can't wait to talk about in a future episode. That's not the one we're talking about today, although we can a little bit if you guys would like. But um, I just want to say that what a clever song. Yeah. Mm hmm. I just love the vocal breakdown in that song. And I talked on an episode of this before that Beach Boys were mm. my first musical love. And I feel like they kind of bring that totally. in a little bit. And so I'm just totally here for that. And I love that she just threw that in. But that song has such a vibe to it that it, it has the country twang, but then it has such a there's like such a rhythmic thrust to the album or that track yeah. that you're just like grooving. You want to dance right. when you listen to that song. Yeah, so that was that song was more accepted by radio station programmers at the time, and I think that it was also doing well enough that more stations picked up on it after kind of like with her first single. You know, we talked about her very first music video a little bit, I think, where she was you know showing some skin uh, on first the what belly made, button in Nashville. It was the, what made you say that video, and she was like you know on the Miami beach and showing. I think she was wearing a swimsuit in one because she was oh at the beach God. and like had her arm around a guy. So you know, okay, so, so is that. that could I, can I just pause and ask, is that still the same way in country music? Because I don't really listen to country music today. Are they still conservative when it comes to women and how they dress? I don't really listen to country music that much anymore because I'm not really a fan of like the mo the current modern day stuff. I would say the female musicians themselves, you don't see that many 
midriffs, but the women in male country musician videos oh, of course. Mm-hmm. are all in short shorts, crop tops. Got it. I mean, and all of the lyrics are singing about short shorts and crop tops. Country girls, shake it for me. Terrible, yes. terrible song. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Talking about or that. Honky Tonk, but Honky Tonk. Like another wow. really crossover body. hit. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunate for us all. Well, I mean, really... the, the most recent like crossover country hit is body like a back road? Oh yeah, it's terrible. Too. Wow, which it's a little, it's a little catchy. It is. I'm not going <laughs> to say that I hate it, but I mean, it's talking about the thing that kills me about that song in the video is it's it's singing about a woman who is curvy, and then the women in the video are some skinny ass bitches <laughs> that look like they've never eaten a cheeseburger in their life, and it's like, how are you singing about curvy women? You know, and as a curvier woman, I'm down for that, and but then you're highlighting not so crazy. They just women. can't quite let it go. They yet. can't let yeah, it go. They, they won't they won't skinny they won't like the Daisy Duke uh-huh. type of God. body type. Maybe yeah. Sam Hunt needs a Bojangles sponsorship. They got Bojangles in Nashville. His girlfriends <laughs> need they, they can have that on set. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you get a body like a back road is I Bojangles. Bojangles doesn't sponsor y'all after that. I don't know. I don't know there what it's gonna is. take. There it is. That's the soundbite we submit. <laughs> well, I feel like this is a great segue, though, to the song we have selected <laughs> off of this record when it comes to, the, you know, characterizing a desirable partner. So the song that I picked to talk about is Any Man of Mine, which was that her second single off of that Yeah, record? it came out after Who's Been. I mean, the drums, the line dancing cues. Also, the vocal breakdown halfway through the song. Yeah. And she is just bossing that man around in that song. Right. I remember hearing that on the radio. And I don't know if y'all ever did this, but I had one of those boom boxes where you could put a tape in and then tape the radio oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and just rewind and listen to it. Everyone did that. I don't yeah. Know. Okay. Okay. I don't know. I don't know what y'all's life was like. So. <laughs> Sandra and I are both from Harnett County, so you know what my life was like more or less. That's like, true. I'm on the That's other true. side of the river. <laughs> well, yeah, that was definitely one of those songs where mm-hmm. I was like, I've got to get this front to back, like record this whole thing so I can just bloop this because it was such a great song. Didn't you hate when they would like come in and talk at the end? Yes. Like, Damn it. The yeah. It wasn't over yet. Now I have to wait until it comes on again to record it. Yes. But I, pains. I felt like that was such an empowering. I wouldn't have said it that way then. Mm-hmm. I would have been like, this song is so empowering. I was probably like. I don't know, eight when it came out, (laughs) but it did make me feel really just jazz. Mm -hmm. I was like, this song makes me feel great. I I think I like, I remember listening to this with my mom and like seeing how empowering it was for her and how much she loved it. So even though I didn't understand necessarily because I was too young, it's like, okay, if my mom can get into this, this probably is something important and cool. Although, some of the lyrics I have some issues with. Such as? Well, the line about um, if last year's dress dress was just a little little too tight. And I'm like, "Ah, I kind of would want my husband to be like, babe, let's try on a different dress. (laughs) 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 Like, because I don't want to look bad. Right. You know, I I want a man that can say that dress fits a little too tight, but in a very nice way. Sure. That's fair. You can say something like, that looks nice, but I really love you in this other dress. 
Right. Oh, I would yeah. not take that well. <laughs> really? No. I'm like, you should love me in whatever I'm wearing. But I, I guess the thing is, like, I don't want to go out in public with, like, my rolls hanging over on the side. <laughs> and I don't know. <laughs> well, I feel like this. But, of course, Shania is never going to look bad in whatever dress she's wearing. So I know. it doesn't really. I know. This you have to suspend your belief in that song. Yes. When it, yeah. It's like, Shania, we know you look great in your right. dress. Okay. You're probably not even cooking your meals and burning. <laughs> it black you know that's my favorite line in the song well at this point she probably was you know yeah, before she broke out maybe you know, and blew up i feel like but, she probably knew how to cook so well she never burned her but meals. she definitely <laughs> you know got a dose of that truth because like i was saying earlier the the single cover was shot by john derrick mm-hmm. when he had the photo for that and he was oh, only yeah. telling her her nose wasn't perfect and all this stuff so yeah. she was gonna maybe he was just that. a bad photographer that didn't capture her well <laughs> How do you... Okay, Spencer, as a man... It's <laughs> not getting so much laughter. <laughs> um, I just want to ask you a gender-specific question. How did this song make you feel as a young man? I think, you know, part of me was thinking, oh, this song isn't really for me. Not like I didn't appreciate it, but like it's speaking to someone who's not me, which you don't necessarily get that awareness a whole lot when you're listening to the radio as a I guess I was 10 then Mm -hmm. uh, because a lot of the songs are male dominated or male perspective or you know a lot of the female led songs or you know love songs and that sort of thing you know there was that quote I texted y'all from Caitlin Rose where she said Reba's brand was someone should leave Trisha's was a little please don't leave and Faith had no one would ever leave me obviously but Shania's (laughs) brand was I will take no shit and all of your money thanks and it worked. Nobody <laughs> stepped that. on Shania, especially a man in her song. So I think that yes. was different to hear. Yeah. And I mean, I was 10, so it wasn't like I was defensive over that. Like we talked about in Goodbye Earl, there were a lot of dudes who got very defensive over that. Well, there were a couple of parodies that came out, like a, a male response to this. To this song too, yeah. yeah. Which, were there? Which I'm sure... There were a couple. Yeah. I mean, it was the same... It, I can't remember his name now. It was the same guy that always did parodies. Yeah. He's the, he's he just teaches. Yeah. He's every Peter song Stead we talk about the... here. He does a terrible parody. This <laughs> one's like called the... "If Shania Was Mine." Oh my god! Yeah, Ew. so didn't even bother listening to that. Yeah, so. she would never be Cletus. First no. of all, <laughs> hey. she would not stoop to that level. But I think your point about perspective is really important because I feel like that's what her like. There's a lot of music that women sing that have men in them as characters in some way, but I feel like she is looking through the eyes of a woman, which to me feels novel for like a country mm-hmm. artist. And everything is like, this is what I would want from you versus what, like, this is what I'm going to do for you. Right. And that to me is like what begins to set her up as a feminist icon in my eyes is that like you get those messages of claiming your own reality and choosing how you want to present yourself. And it's because of what you want, not necessarily because of how you're trying to deliver for the other person, which not she didn't really do that in her own life. Like there's to me, there's a difference between Shania, the human and Shania, the artist working, like reading her writing. And she makes that distinction too, that like, she feels like there's a difference between like Eileen and Shania, which I think is kind of fascinating. And she chose the name. So apparently Shania, 
Maya the name is an Ojibwe word because her stepdad was mm-hmm. Ojibwe. That means like, what does it mean? I looked it up. Like you go going forward or something. There yeah, was, something about embracing your identity moving forward or something. And I there was someone at that resort she worked at. I didn't hear see this in behind the music, but when in her book she mentioned that she got the name from a coworker at that resort where she was performing. Okay, yes, yeah, so that means on my that. way. Right, and she said she didn't want to change her last name because she wanted to honor her parents. And so when they said to change your name, you know, she changed that first name and thought it sounded good and all that. Yeah. But also got to just take a moment then to celebrate the fact that what, one of the biggest country music stars of our era was Canadian. I mean, it's like that episode y'all did where you were talking about Mary Chapin Carpenter mm-hmm. being from New Jersey. New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Ivy League. Mary Chapin I, Carpenter. Yeah, Ivy League from New Jersey. <laughs> but I found out later after we recorded that that song was a thing that happened. She went to the Twist and Shout and saw those who there. So that was like an actual thing that happened. So at least she wasn't yeah. just like, you know, writing this story. This might raise the point, though, that you can grow up country anywhere. Oh, yeah. And still sing country music because you have some sort of leveling country lifestyle experience. Right. Yeah. Because nobody would doubt Shania Twain's country creds, in my opinion. No. Well, right. and I think that what what defines country from a music perspective is not the same as what defines country from, like, a life perspective. I think of country and I think like rural and rural can be anywhere, especially in Canada. Amen. (laughs) So it it makes sense. I mean, I I believe that she, I I guess in this music video, she, was this the one where she was with the horses and in the barn and stuff? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, So it's like, I believe that that was her real life and that could be in Canada or that could be in North Carolina. So yeah, she's country as hell. Yeah. And (laughs) people in Hawaii, love some 90s country. I remember going when I was in school there for a little bit, going to a bowling alley. I think I told you the story before, Rachel. And they were, this like cover band was playing and they were playing Any Man of Mine, which was not what I expected going to a bowling alley in Hawaii. (laughs) But they love some 90s country, including the song. And I think part of it has to do with you know, some people out there that live in more remote places and have big trucks and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it does kind of fit that lifestyle too yeah but going back to what Anita was saying, you know, one one person, one artist that wasn't mentioned in that Caitlin Rose quote was Dolly because, mm-hmm. you know, she had the same kind of thing what you're talking about of uh, you got it from the the female perspective in her songs. It was this is Dolly and what Dolly has to say. So but I think, some of her early stuff with Porter Wagner, she is she's playing a little bit more uh, of an archetype. Right. That, yeah. that think, was isn't reflective of her later right. body of work. But you, you see that you see that a lot, I think, in country divas right. that shift but I think with Dolly you can see the evolution mm-hmm. of that early writing in those early songs you know where it is more of like this is what I want to be for my man to like the song that we talked about in the first episode her Romeo song that she did with Billy Ray Cyrus where it's all about cat calling a man mm-hmm. and so I think that you know if you're going to break down like Reba is this and Shania is this I think that Dolly is all of them wow <laughs> And all of them are Dolly. Mm, wow. <laughs> she is the mother <laughs> source. She is. Dolly contains all. Do- Dolly contains all, and we all have a little Dolly in us. I mean, I think on the duet stuff she did, like, 
uh, it's just kind of like that's more of the role of those type of songs yeah, yeah, too totally. is like you know especially in that era so that would have I'm not saying it wouldn't have worked but I'm sure they were just like oh we're just going to do some du- duet songs like we do in country music and just play the woman off the man more than them having like a separate voice right I guess we should listen to the song at some point sure let's do it stands up after all these years as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a great mix of rock and country, like exactly what they were trying to do. And, you know, they co-wrote pretty much this whole record. I think there was one song that was credited to Mutt and one song that was credited to Shania only. But I think it was a great kind of collaboration of their two worlds of country and rock. And, you know, there's tons of fiddle and pedal steel in there. And so, like, listening to it now, and think about people deeming it maybe not so country seems I know, weird. I know, I totally because agree. If you I totally listen to, it gives you line dancing and yeah. yeah. And how much more country can you get than that? Yeah, so I mean. Is it the percussion that bother people? I think so. And like the guitars too, yeah. I guess. But if you listen to a lot of country on the radio now, there's not even that much fiddle or pedal still. It's just guitars and like uh-huh. maybe like a little bit of twang somewhere. Yeah. But this still seems like country as hell to me. I, I totally agree. So I totally agree. I, I don't really get that. One thing I was reminded of with the Wikipedia page on my screen is God ain't going to get you for that was a B-side to this single. So. She at least got to put that out there again, trying to bring it back. And then this song, she was a a, she was a good time. Then that that Mm -hmm. I mean, both of these songs, she's like a fun loving woman. (laughs) Well, and then that connects to the next song we're gonna do from "Come On Over" because "Any Man of Mine" was the B side to "Man I Feel Like a Woman." Because in the UK, apparently, they were just putting hits in all these Shania singles. (laughs) It was like forget a you know non-album cut. We're just gonna put another single on this <laughs> single and make it great so maybe you got the best exposure to shania over yeah, there there you go so yeah come on over still i think the best selling album by a female artist ever wow which is insane best selling country album best best selling country album so i chose yeah man i feel like woman which first of all made me i was like going through all of her things the amount of exclamation marks and like parentheses <laughs> homegirl uses is hilarious <laughs> had not realized that from like not looking at the text for a while so this song I mean, first of all, was like probably the one that like I fell in love with the most lyrically. But as I grew up, I think it's like the most interesting case study of Shania as feminist and whether or not this song is a feminist album or not. There are like endless internet rabbit holes you can go down about it. But to me, I definitely think it is. And why I think she is a feminist icon is it represents like you can you can claim the things that you want about stereotypical womenhood and femme identity and also be a feminist. So, like, you can 
dress the way you want. You can choose to like wear makeup the way you want. And you can also choose to be an empowered woman. And I feel like her choice of video, whoever chose to do her video for this in the way that they did. So good. Amazing. And I didn't realize that it was playing off of, there are like two specific videos that it's playing off of. Mm -hmm. And the idea of kind of like the dull dummy male model in the background looking super like. Who didn't have any better rhythm than (laughs) the women that were in in the original video. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then her as this like all encapsulating performer icon beauty in the front, I think was an amazing choice. So apparently the reason the ins- original inspiration for the song was when she moved back home to take care of her four siblings after her parents died, she was singing at a um, resort and it was her first exposure to drag. And she oh, saw drag performance oh, and that kind of planted a seed in her head and the idea of like gender fluidity and playing with gender I mean, she wouldn't have used those words, but was in her head at that time and was the seed for this song. Mm -hmm. And this song has become like a drag anthem and a gay anthem. And I think kind of a part of her legacy we haven't really talked about is how, you know, held up she has been in the LGBT community and how strong of a relationship they have had with her and her music. And I think the song was like a huge gateway for that. That Mm -hmm. makes so much sense. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that makes so much sense. Yeah. And I think kind of in terms of her voice, which I feel like is kind of a whole other conversation, but the journey that she's gone on with her voice through her entire life Mm -hmm. and her ability to use it as a tool in a way that's very empowered, even given like losing it for 15 years because of Lyme's disease and like struggles that she's had to gain it back. I feel like her kind of like vocal intelligence is shown on this song and this album that she's Mm -hmm. like, she can be like just like a thread behind the beat in an intentional way, which I think is so damn hard. Mm -hmm. Like, especially when you're singing fast and like the amount of lyrics that she's doing in certain like runs. I think she's actually very, like she has a lot of intelligence as a vocalist that I don't feel like she's given much credit for. Right. Well, I wonder if that's because so, so much of her songs, you see kind of the surfacey fun part of it. Yeah. Which distracts you from the true talent. Yeah. That you don't notice unless you are either wanting to look for it or you're just a music person that's in tune to that type of yeah. stuff. Yeah. And doing like the things that are actually really hard in your voice too, like the amount of slides mm-hmm. and like expansive range. To me, it's like the fact that she did that and then is able to do that again after literally having to have her vocal cords reconstructed. I think is pretty incredible. Yeah. I just want to say she wor- she worked the word prerogative. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. In a very successful yes. way and politically correct. So. I told y'all earlier I had a quote that I thought was interesting from her that before this came out as a single, but when the album came out in 97, she went through like track by track with Billboard and gave like little quotes for each song. And I don't know how you y'all would take this, but she said, the whole expression is a celebration of being a woman these days. I think we're kind of spoiled in a lot of ways with the advantages we have. Feminists may not feel that way, but I do. It's pretty darn fun to be a woman. I feel like she and a lot of things I've read identifies as a feminist. Maybe that was after that, but in that quote from 97, she seems to not identify as a feminist. You know what I think that is about, if I had to guess? She is a survivor. Yeah. And I think that she probably, I also think about like 90s era feminism, and there's Mm -hmm. a lot of like, look at the plight of women. Right. And she doesn't identify as a victim, I don't think. And I feel like she is saying like, we can be tenacious and we can be confident. There are a lot of fun ways that we can manifest our Mm -hmm. womanhood. And that's 
that's what that music is about and that's what that song is about. So I just feel like it's it's almost a perspective. I would imagine it's a perspective vantage point thing for her. Yeah, I think it's also interesting that she, I mean, in some interviews she was asked, like, you know, would you go back and make different decisions now, like knowing what Mutt did to you, et cetera. And she was like, I'm, it still devastates me that the household was broken and my Mm -hmm. like kid didn't get to grow up like that. And so I would have stayed like, basically I would have stayed with him, like to give that to my son. And I think so much of like how she expresses her feminism or doesn't in her personal professional life comes from like how messed up her home life was Mm -hmm. and that like part of her is like psychologically like wanting to heal that like always being in a broken space and so that may be part of why her messages are seemingly contradictory Contradictory. Mm -hmm. because it's like she didn't have any choice for however many years and like watched her mom like get beaten up and almost die and well we have to I guess we we have to talk about what Mutt did go for it he cheated on her with their best friend and rude very rude (laughs) I think they're they're neighbors in yeah like half a mile away or Switzerland which is interesting to me that she's lived there for so long I think it's Switzerland. And then she married that lady's ex-husband. Right. Oh, I didn't know that They basically part. swapped yes, spouses. They legit spouse swapped. Yes. I mean, we know whose boots her bed has been. True. <laughs> Both of them. That's, That's the funny. truth. But then, so, Come On Over was her last full-length album for, no, there was one more up. And then there was a 15-year hiatus mm-hmm. where yeah. she lost her voice. She lost her trifling husband. <laughs> and got an Oprah series and I guess wrote this autobiography mm-hmm. and had an did you have another kid with her yeah I think or maybe her they had they shared the kids of the, the other arrangement yeah I they think still live on the same road from yeah. what I last I mean heard. that makes it easy for you know but she hasn't seen that woman since it happened she said wow. she's yeah. like and I don't want to ever see her but they live half a mile yeah. she also called her a cunt in an interview the wow. same interview where she talked about how she would vote for Donald Trump which we should probably t- maybe touch on we should probably talk about talk about it yeah but she said so I think the question was like what would you say to her if you could say anything I'm like okay you are baiting as a journalist <laughs> and I do appreciate that in this context because I'd love to know and she said something about she's a little cunt and in the same interview she said she would vote for Donald she might vote for Donald Trump because he's a straight shooter and we need more of that if she had citizenship she would I right. think that's what she said right since she's right. not a US citizen I think that that's a problem with a lot of you know being in the southeast and surrounded by conservative people who a lot of them did support Donald Trump. That was a thing that I heard Mm -hmm. most from people who were supportive of him was that they liked that he was a straight shooter. And I could see how you could easily get carried away with that aspect of his personality without realizing that a, it's a load of bullshit. And B, he was never going to follow through on the yes. stuff that he said. So, I mean, because I know people who did vote for Donald Trump for many of the same reasons, I can, I don't agree with it, but I can understand how you could get wrapped up in that. Yeah. What you're saying is that you feel like a bit of a Shania apologist for this, <laughs> as I do. Because yeah. that's exactly the road well, I went down. I was yeah. like, no, 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 no. I can, I, can, I can make sense of this. I can square this. Well, it's not just a Shania apologist. There are, I lot of people in my life that voted for Donald Trump. Yes. And those people now are like, oh, 
Holy fuck up. Sorry, mama said the F word. But it's like, I, I could see how you get, could get wrapped up in what he was selling. I mean, right. he's, a, he's a businessman. He's a salesman. And he succeeded in that. I think. The, sale, the sales part. Yeah. Nothing else has he, has he been successful with. But he was able to sell that vision of himself. I appreciate at least that it was an earnest moment because Mm -hmm. so many of these interviews with superstars, you hear people just constantly spinning, spinning, spinning. Right. And to our bigger question at hand, is she a feminist icon? I feel like Shania has always been really open and candid with her personal narrative Mm -hmm. and she's owned her perspective Mm -hmm. in a way that I've always really respected and found empowering. I don't always agree with it, Mm -hmm. but I really respect how, I mean, to bring it back to Taylor Swift, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it took it like she hasn't really. I I could never tell you what she actually she thinks. really stands for. Yeah, right. And with Shania Twain, well, I mean, and that's why, like, so during the election in the fall, like Taylor Swift encouraged people in Tennessee to go vote, which was like made headlines not because of who she was supporting, but just because she spoke out and encouraged people to vote. Period. Yes. Like that was so out of her nature. Yes, yeah. exactly. And so I, I really appreciate having such a specific, and I think I, I, I feel like it all goes back to exactly how much Shania Twain overcame mm-hmm. from yeah. her and how much she fought for the career that she's had. She is a very earnest person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Speaking from personal experience. <laughs> <laughs> because we're super tight best friends. I mean, she's she doesn't so mean anything to me or anything like that. <laughs> Well, speaking of that, so she was in a Broad City episode last season, which I just rewatched this week. You guys, it's so good. It (laughs) is so freaking hilarious. And they've talked a lot about working with her on that. And she was just like totally game. Like she was game to play into like all of the stereotypes of her Mm -hmm. to like be kind of this like, I don't know, like flitty, like a little bit. I don't know. What do you want to call her? Like idiosyncratic persona. And to me, that was just like a really... I think it's rare to find an artist of her age who will do that. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. especially in that kind of context. You would like, not make fun of herself. No, make yeah, fun of herself so openly, yet, like, highlight all the things that make her so lovable. Which, God, what's the, the lyric that she creates for that song in it? Do you guys remember? I wrote it down. It I don't, but I watched that this I watched week it last after. night. Something about if you have a spark, you need to oh, yeah. ride it. Uh, if okay. there's a spark, you gotta ride it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a new hit yeah. for sure. Shania right there. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. Well, and she also, in that episode, like, makes references back to her hits, like, saying man, I feel like a smoothie whenever she has to go to the smoothie bar after her, like, five-minute workout. Yes. Yes. Um, And the whole thing about her having good genes so she doesn't have to work out. Yeah. That that was funny. (laughs) Such a good... And that's the same episode. So, speaking about, like, her being a drag icon, that same episode RuPaul was in, which I just... I didn't realize that until I watched back. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's good. Good episode. Oh, she's about to make her major motion picture debut and I think a week after this episode. Wait, post. you're forgetting about I Heart Huckabees. Or I well, Heart okay, Huckabees so star. Is. She's yeah. she's what? going to star. I don't remember. She wasn't her a role. star. Yeah. yeah, she's going to star opposite John Travolta in a stock car racing movie called Trading Paint. It <laughs> comes out this month. <laughs> Unfortunately, we couldn't have Shania on here to make a promo appearance. But I'm excited about that when it comes on Netflix later this year. To I be don't sure. Know what I'm more surprised by John Travolta making a movie <laughs> or, <laughs> or Shania? Well, it's not. 
not going to, I think her best moment in a movie, she wasn't in it, but in Crossroads when Britney Spears and Kisatucky yes. and Zoe Saldana all sing along to the song, Man, I Feel Like a Woman mm-hmm. in the Car. It's a really awkward sing-along scene. We and actually haven't it. listened to the song yet. record also has i can't remember the name of it but it's like the first consent based song if you want to touch her if you want to touch her ask exclamation point exclamation point so many exclamation points on this album yeah when i was prepping for this i revisited the whole record and i knew every word to every song of course (laughs) and that one came on i was like oh my god this is like the the yes means yes culture before (laughs) (laughs) that was even a thing so this song she actually performed at since it's super bowl sunday today she performed at the super bowl halftime show in 2003 so she did man i feel like a woman and then up which i guess that album had just come out and speaking of like feminist i think that this is probably the most feminist halftime show ever because she's saying man i feel like a woman and then no doubt performed and saying i'm just a girl yeah and the dixie chicks sang the national anthem can i get a year yeah Yeah. what a show it all went downhill after that and of course i went into like a rabbit hole about super bowl halftime shows and not the last time that the super bowl was in atlanta but the previous time which was in 1994 the halftime show was the Rockin' Country Sunday, and Clint Black, Tanya Tucker, Travis Tritt, and Winona all Ooh. did that halftime performance. Why and that, was, that was in 1994. Well, we're speaking so of good. big artists of the earlier 90s. I just have to say, when you're talking about consent songs, Alan Jackson did say in Chattahoochee, I was willing, but she wasn't ready, so yes. I sell for a burger and a grape snow cone. So that is Alan Jackson speaking of consent, too. Maybe not as explicitly as Thona <laughs> exclamation point behind you want to touch or ask but i just want to you know give aj some credit here for that one you know he, he's doing some too. yeah but we get the we get the female perspective right no i'm not saying yeah, it's, it's great i just yeah. want to make sure he's recognized for his progressive thinking shouldn't really been progressive thinking but you know you need to rewrite that story so thank you well, I think we've all established Shania is the best. <laughs> in closing. Is that, in closing. Is that what the case was Shania. to be made today? Yeah. Is, is Shania the best She's or not? She's the best. No, I wish her all the best. Mm-hmm. And I am ashamed to say that I haven't listened to her any of her new music. The 2017 album? Yeah. Yeah, I've listened to a couple of them and I've read reviews. And I think, I mean, it's clearly she's on her journey to, you know, self-expression and coming out mm-hmm. as her own thing. Post. Post. Mutt. But I wasn't drawn in, but I haven't given it a fair chance, I don't think. So Just, this is our homework for this week yeah. is to go listen to Shania's newest album. The deluxe version is on Spotify. <laughs> Giving Shania a lot of promo right now. Yeah. For her new stuff that we have no idea the quality of. <laughs> it's, it's Shania. It's going to be good. Mm, I'll stick to the book for now. <laughs> I'm more intrigued by finishing that. 
Well, this has been great. Thanks for for coming on. Do you want to talk a little bit, since we didn't do this at the beginning, do you want to talk a little bit more about your podcast and what it's about and where people can listen and all of that good stuff? Sure. So our podcast is called She and Her, and we've been making it since 2015. It's co-hosted by me and Sandra. Our tagline is feminism with a Southern spin. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Um, So we profile women living in the South. We look at kind of how feminism has evolved. And we've had, like, we had Erin on the show, who mm-hmm. you've had on the show. She's been on our show twice. So she's yeah. talked about being a woman in comedy once, and then she's talked about going through two divorces right. in another episode. So we, some of our stuff is, like, explicitly coming at and interrogating feminism via, like, a woman in comedy kind of show, variety show. But then others, we just bring on really interesting women mm-hmm. who inherently are feminists by what they're doing and creating. So, yeah. <laughs> Check it out. You can, yeah, subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts or find all of our stuff at sheandherradio.com or follow us on Instagram at sheandherradio. We have renewed commitment to Instagram and no, y'all been you can like find posting us a lot of stuff on there. And, and I've been getting notifications that the neon boots thing is getting tagged. Y'all seem a little bit better at Instagram than we we're getting. Oh, we're okay. getting there. Oh, well, Sandra's been taking pictures. <laughs> yeah, we've been like taking, look, taking live photos here yeah. to see what they look like. Yeah, yeah we, thank you for. We never remember to take photos ever. So. We did one time. <laughs> One time, Grant. because Grant sure. asked us if we wanted to. <laughs> yeah, Grant was like, should we take a picture? Yeah. Wow. Well, I just want to say, I don't know when this is going to air, but one of the episodes that we're about to release, just to give folks an example of mm-hmm. the show, is we did an interview last week with a woman who was on Survivor, the late, the most recent season of Survivor. She yeah. was a physician at UNC Hospital, and she came on the show and talked about like how she became a survivor E. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like, some other type of survivor, like cancer survivor or something like that. I was like, yeah, interesting. Like, just a show. survivor. The TV show. A survivor. Yeah, TV show survivor. How she got on the show, what it was actually like, and she, like, had all these really interesting perspective about how women are reflected on Survivor, mm-hmm. how Survivor changed her body image, yeah. which was really, really interesting because you basically starve for 30 yeah. days. So... That's an example y'all should listen. Check it out. Thanks for having us. We're excited Thanks about what y'all are doing. Thanks for joining us today. Yes. And Love thank it, you y'all. for um, encouraging us to try a different format and just <laughs> devote an entire episode to Shania. Well. I think it's she's deserving. Absolutely. Okay. I'm glad. Yeah. yeah. That. No, I love it. Cool. All right. Well, keep it up, y'all. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Bye. <laughs>